Welcome to Campaign Chemistry, where we pick the brains of creative alchemists, business wizards, and marketing geniuses behind the world's greatest brands. I'm your host, Allison Weisbrot, and my guest this week is Alex Josephson, head of Twitter Next, the platform's brand strategy team. Twitter Next works closely with brands to help them identify and tap into communities and conversations on the platform during big moments. Think the Super Bowl or the Oscars or a major product launch. As Twitter rolls out new features such as social audio, Twitter Next is constantly evaluating how brands can authentically tap into engagement on the platform. Josephson talks about how brands are embracing new features on Twitter and how they can save themselves from falling into a sea of homogeneity that's emerging among advertisers. Hi, Alex. How are you? Hey, Allison. I'm doing well. How about yourself? I am doing well. Um, I am sitting in my apartment in Brooklyn, and I think you are currently in Montclair, New Jersey, and we were supposed to be in Las Vegas today talking to each other. Yeah, that's right. This is slightly different than like the, you know, the usual venue that we set up at the Cosmo in Vegas, but, uh, but certainly safer. So I'll take it. Yeah. So, um, CES is, is going on, but a lot of the, um, the advertising industry, the big tech companies like Twitter are, are not there. Um, what do you think that, you know, this sort of means in terms of like, a return to big tentpole events in the future? Like, do you think the industry is kind of spooked? Do you think this is like a New York media bubble that we're living in? Like, what do you make of the whole unraveling of CES? Yeah, I I think it's, I think it's a little too soon to tell. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I do think the pandemic has made us all rethink productivity and and meeting um, formats and and etiquette and all that. But for us, I mean, for the past decade, CES has really been like a really important touch point for us because all of our, you know, not all of our, but, but a lot of our closest advertising partners, content partners, their leadership teams are there all in one place. Um, and not just from the U S but from outside of the U S as well. And so it's a really convenient and important sort of meeting place for us to have these kind of top to top partnership discussions, which we typically have at like CES can, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. ad week, just a handful of times a year. So, you know, speaking for myself, I certainly miss those kind of, um, you, know, you think you use the word tentpole moments of human interaction with our most important partners around the world. With that being said, the current state of things, I think we at Twitter and I think many of our peer sets, you know, have taken similar approaches. We just prioritize health and safety, you know, of our, of our tweets, sorry, tweets is what we call, uh, employees at Twitter, uh, yeah, we, we prioritize health and safety above everything else. And we're still meeting with a lot of the customers we had planned to meet with in person in Vegas at CES. We're just doing it remotely and virtually over the course of the next week or two. Mm. Does that make it different though? Is it it's sort of not really the same, right? It's, I think those meetings are certainly productive. It just, it just, what it lacks is kind of the intimacy of, of being in a room together. And it's like, it's the meeting, but then it's like the chat you have with someone, you know, the five minutes before the meeting starts or the coffee or the drinks you go grab yeah. after the meeting. Uh, it, it's, it's those little things that um, I think can accelerate or deepen relationships in intangible ways. And I think in many ways with the pandemic, while there's a lot of silver lining and benefits to the, to the accelerated flex towards remote work, 
there are some some sort of um, intangible aspects of human interaction that we're missing that I'm not even sure we realize we're we're missing yet. Mm. So, consider assuming all things are safe and and okay, you're looking forward to Can. <laughs> I, I I certainly hope so. I had the pleasure uh, for the first time in my career sitting on the jury uh, last year for the Social Influencer Lions, and it's funny because you sort of work your whole career. That's like one of those moments, the milestone moments. And your whole career, you're like, yeah, like I'm going to be in that room, you know, eating like, you know, saran wrap, turkey sandwiches and, and bad coffee and then going out with the, my fellow jurors at night and like, you know, continuing the conversations <laughs> and then you all show up and it's like, cool, I'm in my little home, <laughs> home yeah. office space and everyone's on tiles and it was still an amazing experience. But yeah, I, I hope to be, you know, I, I, I hope to be back um, by, by June. That would be, uh, that'd be amazing. Yeah. Well, you and me both. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> um, but let's talk a little bit about you and about and about Twitter. Sure. Um, I have to admit, I you don't I don't think you have a LinkedIn, so I couldn't really stalk you before this this interview. But really? Oh, I'm on there. I'm on there. Maybe yeah. I, need to, I need to work on my, my LinkedIn SEO strategy, there's, I guess. There's a lot of Alex Josephson. <laughs> there on. is. Actually, there's, you know what? There's a, there's a Alex Josephson who is around my age, but he's like a super famous, like, architect prodigy in Toronto. Oh, so I wow. think he's uh, people are like, sometimes I get random messages. They're like, Hey, I'm in Toronto. Can we meet? And I'm like, Oh uh, yeah, it's, it's the famous Alex Josephson. It's not, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> well, working yeah. at, working at Twitter is pretty cool. So tell me about how you got there. How did I get here? Um, so I had always kind of been in the brand strategy, integrated marketing space for the majority of my career. Um, and more recent, most recently before Twitter, I was I spent a few years at Viacom at MTV specifically working with brands and integrating them into sort of the MTV property um, and uh, you know the VMAs or the Movie Awards or you know I've, I've yes I've pitched product placement to a deodorant brand at, for the Jersey Shore when the Jersey Shore <laughs> show was in its prime nice. probably dating myself there um, but then after M MTV I helped start up um, the brand sort of ads business at a company called Vivo, which is a music video mm -hmm. streaming platform. And so I, I joined them at like the very, very start and built out a team that similarly, you know, hand, handled all sort of like custom brand partnerships, everything from branded content to big event integrations to product integrations into the site and the platform. And um, what I had noticed is um, the, the campaigns that we were running with you know, some of the largest brands in the industries. I was integrating, we were integrating Twitter more and more into the ideas and the activations we were bringing to brands. And I realized, wow, Twitter was sort of like the secret sauce that could take a good idea and kind of make it explode beyond mm -hmm. the Vivo platform. And right around that time, um, I became aware of a really small team that was just starting up in the US over at Twitter uh, called the Brand Strategy Team. And... Um, started watching some of their work trickle out into the marketplace and kind of became fascinated and, and slightly obsessed. And they opened a branch, I think it was their first strategist position in New York. And I, I applied and began talking to them and began realizing, you know, everyone working there at the time, um, I think the sales team in the New York office was like 10 people to give mm -hmm. you con you know, an idea. The company was about 1200 people. I think we're close to 7,000 people today. And, wow. um, and um, 
what I realized is everyone working there uh, were people who were friends of friends, colleagues of colleagues, mentors of people I'd worked with, former bosses of people I'd worked with or vice versa. And so I started as the first strategist there um, on what was called the brand strategy team, helped build out the team in New York and on the East Coast. And then after a couple of years, started leading the team in the US and Canada. And after doing that for a little while, about five and a half years ago, I was tapped to, to look after the team globally, uh, which is now known as, as Twitter Next. Very cool. So talk about Twitter next and, and what being on the brand strategy team means at Twitter, because obviously there's the salespeople and then there's mm-hmm. the agencies that these brands work with. Like yep. where, where do you fit into that ecosystem? Yeah. So we have, I, you know, I've been working with, with quote unquote, you know, media sort of sales partnership organizations for, for the majority of my career. And, um, and one of the reasons I've been at Twitter now for, over nine years, which is like two to three times longer, no, actually three times longer than any other company I've, I've been with throughout my, my career. Um, we have a fantastic, what we call a uh, client solutions team, <clears throat> excuse me. And so they, they're managing the day-to-day relationships with, with brands and agencies. And then we also have a, an amazing agency team um, led globally by a friend of mine, Steph Prager, and they manage sort of the, the broader agency relationships where Twitter next fits in is when brands are looking to do things that start to go beyond sort of standard um, media strategy and activation on the platform. So that could be really, it's like their most important moments of the year when they're either launching something new, that could be a new product, a new feature, a new service, um, even a new brand or sub brand or they're trying to connect with what's happening in culture. So they might be sponsoring a big sports event or an award show or trying to connect with a seasonal trend or occasion like um, holiday shopping or back to school. And then in between those moments, we do quite a bit of um, consulting when it comes to things like content strategy or brand voice. And mm-hmm. so the, the, our client solutions team pulls us in, activates us sort of in those moments at the right time and place. And we, sort of tier our services based on the customer need. And there's a lot of nuances that, that go into that, of course. So we, we really try to understand what is the customer, what is the brand's objective, what is the problem they're trying to solve. And then we use that to determine what um, service we bring to the table. Interesting. So talk about, um, so like I would imagine that Super Bowl coming up, you have a lot of, of work you're doing around that. Sure. Yeah. Super Bowl is a huge time of year for us in the U.S. The team is, is global. So we're working with brands across, you know, upwards of you know, 20 to 25 markets around the world across pretty much every like vertical or industry. But sure, uh, big moments like the Super Bowl are, are, are hot and heavy for us. Actually, it's a, it's a really busy time coming out of holiday and, and heading right into Super Bowl and then award show season, which these days is always a little bit uh, a <laughs> little bit less predictable given given everything happening in the world with dates being moved and, and things like that. Right. Like the Grammys was just um, postponed, canceled. I, I can't remember exactly. It's hard to keep up. Yeah. It's really hard to keep up. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can, you can check Twitter. Yeah. You can check Twitter and get the latest probably. Exactly. Sorry, a sh- shameless, exactly. shameless plug. As yeah. I do all the time. <laughs> you <laughs> know, you journalists love we Twitter. You. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. <laughs> um, so give me an example. Like how have you worked with a brand in the past on like really taking advantage of the platform in a big moment? Yeah. So we just, I'll, I'll give you a few examples um, re- over the last couple months. And to take a step back, you know, Twitter's, Twitter's mission is to serve the public conversation. You probably heard that. At Twitter Next, we believe there's, there's just no substitute for getting people to talk publicly about your brand. So there's like, there's 
third-party research, I think most recently from like Newstar, says like there's a direct causation between an increase in conversation volume and driving an increase in, in offline sales. And so when brands are trying to launch something new, when they're trying to connect with what's happening, our team really focuses on trying to help them create ideas that are worth talking about. So like a few examples of that, you know, it sounds poetic, but like, what does that really mean? So, um, so for instance, this past year, uh, Louis Vuitton partnered with the K-pop band BTS. They were launching this live fashion show produced by uh, the late uh, Virgil Blow, And um, this is happening across multiple countries around the world. And when we were briefed on this, um, this opportunity, this campaign, K-pop on Twitter is, is, um, is a behemoth of a conversation. I think we see somewhere between five and six billion tweets, billion with a B tweets a year around K-pop. Wow. BTS fandom runs rampant on the platform. So there's all these sort of behaviors and sub communities that in this instance, a brand like Louis Vuitton can tap into to promote this big major live fashion event that they're doing. Think about all the resources that they're putting into this, this big moment. And so we architect, um, uh, an experience with them where BTS from their handle basically puts out an invitation for people to um, engage with their content with the Louis Vuitton hashtag to get an exclusive invitation when the fashion show goes live immediately and tune in and see this never before um, seen sort of runway show featuring BTS, which I don't know that there's a, a bigger sort of more followed entity on the platform right now than, than BTS. And so what happens, yeah, or the planet. Yeah. Uh, And so what happens is um, over 36 million, million people tune into the live show and and the the replay and over the course of the next five days, Louis Vuitton, who's already a heavily followed brand on Twitter, they gain over a million new followers in that five day period. Wow. Uh, So that's one example. Give you, uh, and I'll share like two or three very, very different examples just to sort of paint the full picture. Yeah. One of, one of the brands that really does a fantastic job of leaning in upstream with, with Twitter and with, with Next specifically is, is Mondelez. Mm-hmm. So two very, this is one of my favorites, uh, I think it was from the summer, uh, Cadbury out of the UK. They were launching, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Wispa chocolate bar. So they had this gold, this, this new chocolate bar they were launching called the Wispa Gold. Okay. And so gold is interesting, right? It's sort of like a currency and what is the conversation that is just absolutely on fire and inseparable from Twitter right now is, is the crypto com- uh, uh, conversation, crypto NFT, crypto Twitter is just like a, a burgeoning yeah. community that, that cannot be stopped. And I don't think you can find that level, uh, depth and frequency of crypto conversation anywhere else on, on the open web. Um, and so their creative agencies, VCCP, came to us and they were developing some ideas and what we ended up launching with them on Twitter exclusively on Twitter because that's where the crypto conversation was happening in, in spades. They, we created a stock market for chocolate bars. So basically, let me see if I can get this right. Basically, um, people were invited uh, to attend the opening of the Wispa Gold market. And you would have a limited number of time, to- limited time, I think it was like a few days or maybe even less, where you could purchase shares in the Wispa Gold market wow. through, through a mobile website off of Twitter. And then once you purchase those shares, the value of those shares, you'd be able to basically exchange them when the market closed at the end of the week for actual physical Wispa Gold chocolate bars that would be delivered to you in this like beautiful briefcase um, <laughs> to your home, to your actual actual physical home. But the value of those shares, in other words, how many chocolate bars, Wispa bars is one share worth, would fluctuate based on the volume of conversation about the chocolate bar hashtag. And so the, the value of the shares was going up and down over the course of the days. The conversation was exploding. Like 
on the on the day it launched, the top trend in the UK organically was there was a big England India cricket match, so that was the number mm-hmm. one trend. The second trend was the Wisp of Gold stock market. Um, in fact, they saw during the campaign there was almost as much conversation about this little chocolate bar as there was about all of Ethereum, which is like wow. one of the most talked about cryptocurrencies in the world. And like over a hundred press outlets covered the the launch and the campaign. And so that's how we, how we sort of help a brand achieve outsized conversation. Totally different example out of Mondelez in the US uh, is work we've done with a couple of their brands, but starting with Oreo and, and the Martin Agency, who's a really, really incredible creative uh, agency partner mm-hmm. where we're, you, there's so much conversation on Twitter around how people eat Oreos. People are mm-hmm. always posting, tweeting pictures of different ways they're eating Oreos, different things they're making with them. Do they dunk them? Do they stack them? Do they mix them? And the conversation kind of reminded us of a conversation that's also on the rise since the pandemic, which is around horoscopes. And the thing about tweeting about how you eat Oreos or the thing about tweeting about what your horoscope is, it's all about being seen. And then people sort of start to converse with each other who have similar sort of ways of eating Oreos or similar ways of um, similar horoscopes. And so that led to this conversation that uh, this concept around Oreo scopes, where by interacting with Oreo tweets, we would read your public available Twitter persona behavior. You know, uh, what do you tweet about? How many followers do you have? What do you have in your bio? And we would basically tell you what type of Oreo you should be eating based on your Twitter persona. Mm. And it sounds really quirky, but that's just like irresistibly shareable. Yep. Because Oreo is telling you something. Everyone loves to learn something about themselves that they didn't already know. It's almost mm-hmm. impossible to tell someone about something about themselves that they don't know. Um, you know, like, unless you go to like therapy, you know, session, for example, like, but here it's like, here's an Oreo cookie, like doing that for you on the service. And you were seeing the conversation go absolutely, um, insane. Uh, the last example I'll share is, um, just one more, uh, or I can do many more, but for time's sake, uh, Spotify, (laughs) Spotify is a really, they really understand how to, how to get the best out of our platform. And we did some really cool work with them recently out of Mexico with their team in Mexico um, is sort of where we helped them. They had all these different topical podcasts that they were promoting, like oodles of podcasts, sports, mm-hmm. politics, comedy, music, etc. And we created, we sort of built through our API this this experience where they had all the podcasts lined up, all this different creative and tweet messaging um, lined up, and then we'd automatically they'd automatically promote different themed podcasts based on what was trending on Twitter in real time that day. And what we saw was a 40% increase in conversation on Twitter terms associating Spotify with podcasts, which was also, which was really the the main objective of the brief and of the campaign was to to promote the fact that all these different podcasts were available on Spotify, but not to promote them in this sort of blanket fashion, promote them in a really specific manner where they're making sure they're putting the right specific podcast in front of the right person because they think there's some indication that they're interested in it. Hmm. Yeah, those are all really interesting and and very different examples. And it seems like, you know, it's like a mix of like, you know, heavy social listening data analytics to sort of like tap into the community, but then also like really creative thinking in terms of like how to bring that idea to life. So what types of people are on your team? Like, is that is it that hybrid like unicorn creative data person that everyone's looking for? So the the it, it's um and, and it's it's funny you mentioned that because we, we try to take like a human centric approach to everything we do. And so we sort of have this framework, I don't really believe in frameworks, but we sort of have this approach where it's like, 
you make an observation based on the conversation you're seeing on the platform or the audience behavior from that observation that leads to an understanding and the observation and the understanding should actually lead to the idea. And I think there's often a tendency in digital and social to lead with the format or lead with the idea, but we believe in leading with the insight first because mm-hmm. the ideas will be better and they're more likely to strike a nerve and drive conversation and attention if they're rooted in a human truth or behavior. Um, but to answer your, your question more directly, who's part of the team? So the team, our, our cross-functionality is our superpower. And so what I mean by that is we have strategists, planners, designers, technologists, producers. We've added some data science specialists um, more, more recently to the team. And so when we're trying to solve a problem for, for a customer or brand or we're trying to tackle you know, a really interesting brief, if you can take a strategist, a designer, a technologist, and an, an analyst and you put all of them on that particular challenge together, they all bring unique strengths Mm-hmm. to that. Um, and so we're, we're, we've built the team over the last, you know, close last decade, more or less, uh, people coming from brands, agencies, publishers, media companies, tech companies, uh, from around the world. And that's kind of the, the composition that we, that we, um, have created with a really strong and focus on trying to be the most diverse team that we possibly can to reflect the society that we're living in and reflect the um, vibrant diversity of the people who are using Twitter every single day. Seems like the dream agency team (laughs) that every agency is trying to create right now. Well, I think um, probably, probably about half the team comes, comes from the agency world. And so, um, and and we're, we're fortunate to work with so many of the best agencies in the business. So, um, you know, I, 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 Appreciate the comment. Uh, that being said, you know some of our closest creative agency partners are, are the people we learn from the most around the world. Yeah. So how is um, obviously Twitter as a platform is changing? All platforms are are changing and adding new features all the time. One that comes to mind is uh, Twitter Spaces and social audio. But um, talk about how like like what's the focus this year for brands to really engage on Twitter? What new products are you steering them towards? Like what are you excited to to play around with? Yeah. Well, so Twitter's evolved so much in the in the time that I've been here to, to give you some perspective on that. Like that my third day at the company, we announced we were launching photo filters. <laughs> and, okay. And so that's absolutely crazy when you think about now how, you know, video is so prevalent on the platform to live broadcasts. You know, I think it's, it's no, it's publicly, you know, uh, um, it's public knowledge that over half of, of, you know, ad monetization on the platform is, is video based. Right. And so we've got uh, award shows and sports events being live streamed on the platform. We've got highlights being tweeted out in real time from uh, big events like the Super Bowl or the World Cup or the Olympics. And so um, more recently, you've seen our product team really test and learn at an accelerated space, um, or accelerated pace, excuse me, uh, with, you know, you mentioned spaces and, and audio on social being such a, um, such a, a a beachhead really uh, for platforms like ours where people are already having public conversations around a variety of different topics and audio just sort of adds a new dimension to that conversation. So uh, to see the platform evolve, it's such a, um, it's such a clip over the last decade and and even more so over the last two years is really exciting for us. And it's really exciting for our brand partners. Uh, So, uh, but 
the brands that are leaning in, I think, early are the ones who, and upstream with us, are the ones who can kind of test and learn really quickly and gain a competitive advantage with the newest features and, and formats on the platform. They're also the brands that are going to help us discover and, and co-create new uses of the platform that maybe aren't on our roadmap or, or don't exist just yet. But um, the way brands are interacting on Twitter and the way people are interacting with brands as we head into the new year has really changed and evol- is, is really changing. Uh, and so I think the first thing I would say is like engagement with brands is is way up you know you've probably heard the stat that like eight out of ten people on twitter follow brands but um we're seeing them converse and, and interact with brands at a, at a much higher rate so there's like over 20 there's like 23 percent more tweets about brands you know today versus a year ago um why do you, you think know, that is um people are you know on twitter i think people don't just tolerate your brand having a voice and and um, and actually talking to you, they expect it, you know. And so we actually, so twenty twenty one marked roughly ten years since the first ads ever on Twitter. And so what Twitter Next, my our team did was we we took a big step back and we actually conducted some research with our, our audience insights team on the evolution of brand behavior. On, on the platform, which is really an indi- indication for brand behavior at large. And what we found is you know, people are savvier. They're paying more attention to brands. You know, we live in a, in a much different environment today than we ever have before. I think the expectations for brands is higher. And so we're seeing like, you know, people, there's like a 44% year on year increase in people replying directly to brands on the platform. Um, and you know, there's, there are 20% increase in people retweeting brands or or 35% year on year increase in people quote tweeting brands. So the data tells us like, there's just more, there's just more attention on brands than ever before. And so that's, you know, maybe that could be intimidating, but that's actually a huge opportunity. So we actually looked at, um, we looked at over 5,000 unsolicited tweets about brands from people across eight, um, across the world. And then we took that data and we surveyed, thousands of daily active users on the platform across eight different countries, you know, most major continents. And we found a seven in 10 of the people we, we surveyed, and this was done through third-party you know, research firms like Sparkler and, and Pulsar, um, seven in 10 people agreed that, you know, quote unquote, brand Twitter is one of the best parts about the platform. Hmm. Uh, that That's the good news. But in general, I think brands are underestimating um, how much attention people are paying to them. Mm-hmm. And there tends to be this sea of same uh, epidemic across the industry that's leading, we, we believe, to like brand homogeneity, where brands are all adopting the same tone. They're mm-hmm. trying to attach to the same topics. They're all kind of vanilla and, and one-dimensional or monolithic in how they're approaching, uh, trying to engage with specific communities. And so the, the study we did, and we can talk about it if, if you like, um, really sort of focuses on how to reclaim your tone how to revisit your topics that you're associating with and how to rewrite your community approach. Because we think, you know, we think brand voice and and persona is at a pretty big tipping point. And we think brand Twitter plays a really unique role in the industry in helping brands understand that tipping point and really 
refine their approach for what's what for for a world that is very different than than what the world looked like you know just two years ago the last time we were in ces for example yeah well that's interesting (laughs) because i feel like a lot of um I, i hear what you're saying like a lot of brands they take the same approach like even even in the way that they pitch me for instance it's like oh gen z does this and like it's all just like the same you know, ideas repurposed. Um, so how do you help them, you know, snap out of that and, and tap into what's unique? Yeah. Well, so, so there's, there's three kind of, we talk about how to evolve and, um, and there's three, there's three real pillars that we focus on. The first is, is reclaiming their tone. What, what we mean by that is like, it is really important for a brand to be unapologetic, you know, we say be unapologetically you. And what we mean by that is like, you're not going to be universally loved by everyone, whether you're, even if you're selling ice cream or sneakers. And so everything you do to reach the audiences that you really care about reaching is it's not going to please everyone. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. As long as you're being authentic and you're being consistent. And as long as the way you're showing up on Twitter from a tone of voice perspective mirrors and matches the way you're showing up on other mediums and touch points. So if I hear you talking on Twitter as a brand, it should sound similar to what I hear when I see your commercial air right. on TV or when I read your billboard or when I um, open a package from you and there's a, you know, like a, a card in there, you know, thanking me for my, my, you know, my, my, my purchase. And so we say is like anything you do on Twitter or elsewhere will have a, an opposite reaction. Um, meaning like, but that, that reaction will be unequal. So like we actually looked at, um, you know, emoji usage on Twitter is like, it's like such a, <laughs> uh, informative, um, indication of, of like emotion and expression. Mm-hmm. And so we, we ran some research across like 20 brands, 20 globally recognized brands around the world over a three year period. And we analyzed the language they were using on Twitter. And it's like, turns out for every laughing, crying, every seven laughing, crying emojis you, you generate on Twitter from, from people responding to you you'll get like one facepalm emoji mm. or for every, um, you know, uh, for every three clapping emojis, you might get one middle finger emoji, <laughs> you know? And so like, but would you trade, would you, would you take the one facepalm reaction from one customer for seven laughing crying re- reactions? We believe you should, because the only alternative is to just be complacent and play it really, really safe. And it's not to say you need to be some snarky out there brand. It just need, means to say, like, you need to be yourself. Mm-hmm. And then you need to apply that tone consistently to any topic you're associating with, whether that topic is product focused, whether it's fun or whether it's quite serious. And it's not a matter of, you know, people expect to hear from brands across all of these types of topics. Um, you know, we, we surveyed people and said, across everything from TV shows to meme culture to social and uh, societal and cultural issues. And we said, should brands weigh in on these topics? And we sort of divided it into, should they weigh in like you expect them to? Could they weigh in where it's not expected, but it's appropriate or don't. So should it, could it, don't, right? And 90 per- people said, you know, this is like tens of thousands of people who use Twitter every single day around the world said, you know, 90% of the situation said a brand either should or could weigh in on the situation but what's important is how they weigh in on the situation and that they're really, really self-aware. So brands like that have gotten this right since the beginning of the pandemic are like Uber, right? You know, mm-hmm. being really clear from the get go, telling you not to take Ubers, 
right? That yeah. sounds cra- that sounded crazy back in 2020, but like it made so much sense. Now you saw other brands kind of catch up and start to emulate that behavior. And Twitter was a platform where you saw them really be vocal about this. ABI, uh, Anheuser Busch and Bev, another great example where they were really quick to understand how to promote people to order takeout from their partners, you know, bars that carry their product um, or struggling, right? And so one way to keep those bars afloat was through takeouts. So they were using their media on Twitter and, and other places to promote people to order takeout from their local businesses to support them. Uh-huh. On a letter note, though, like the Wisp of Gold example, you know, talk about a topic. It's like, does a chocolate bar have a right to like, you know, sort of hijack the crypto conversation to sell like a 70 pence chocolate bar? That the the original, you know, your first response might be like, no, <laughs> but look at the way the community <laughs> reacted to it because they really, you know, they really looked at the conversation on Twitter and they really understood the community and they knew exactly. You sort of have to know the rules before you can bend them or break them. Um, so when we say revisiting topics, that's what we mean. And then finally, rewriting community approach, similar to what I mentioned about tone, is like it's really important. You, it, you have to be for some as a brand and not for all. Like if you're trying to speak to everyone, you're really speaking to no one. But as you're engaging mm-hmm. communities, you know, first and foremost, um, it's important that the people working at your company, the people sitting on your board are reflective of the diversity of the customers you're trying to reach. Um, mm-hmm. Because otherwise, any attempt to engage with any type of community is going to come off as inauthentic because it is. And so you have to not only be reflecting the diversity of the customers you're trying to reach, but also doing the work. Like, you know, before you're communicating with the community, you need to be demonstrating, like, what have you done that's relevant to that community or in support of that community? And right. that's, that's just so key um, in understanding when it, when it comes to your, your community approach. I mean, we say, you know, the, the research I mentioned and the study, by the way, is called Real Talk. Um, you know, we see that, you know, like, eight, 83% of people surveyed said they don't mind when a brand addresses them as part of a specific community on social media, mm-hmm. as, long as, they do, as long as they do it with respect. Right. And on, on Twitter, like, people are literally now wearing their, what we could say, they're wearing their hearts on their feeds, like, <laughs> meaning, meaning they're, they're identifying with communities um, or movements, social cultural movements in their Twitter bios, uh, 10, at, 10 times more than they were a year ago. Mm. So that's everything from Black Lives Matter to, um, to Trans Lives Matter to Stop Asian Hate to ally, hashtag allyship. These terms are in Twitter bios 10 times more today than they were a year ago. And I think the days of marketers trying to buy these boxed in monolithic demographics through traditional planning tools, I think are really outnumbered because communities, the the true fabric of a community can't be, you know, measured by like a, you know, like a comm score checkbox. Like they are so much more layered and nuanced and and beautiful uh, in, in those regards. And Twitter happens to be a platform where you can, you can see those things, express them and learn about them. And if you're a brand that respects that and prioritizes that as part of your, as your overall communications philosophy and strategy, then you're going to get outsized results. Um, and, and by results, I don't just mean like driving sales. I mean like building a genuine brand that people love and respect and trust, which is not easy to do. Right. So, I mean, obviously the, the rewards are really high if you do this right, right? Like the results that you talked about for Mondelez and 
you know, Louis Vuitton and the other brands were really strong, but there's also risk when you're going straight to a community. There's, there's brand safety risk. There's risk that you're going to, you know, put your foot in your mouth and piss people off. Like how do you help brands, which are very risk averse, manage that as you're telling them to, you know, jump into these communities and topics and, and be authentic. Yeah. Well, it all comes down to doing the work beforehand and in really being clear on, on who you are as a brand, what are your principles, what communities do you stand with and stand for and, and why. And it's not to say you should be weighing in on every topic or trying to engage with every community, but you should, you know, it's really important to have a clear understanding on, on what topics are relevant to you and what communities are, are relevant to you. And, and I think, so sometimes, but if you wait until when the moment presents itself, it's too late because that's when you sort of see these hand wringing moments within companies, this sort of paralysis, right? And now mm-hmm. silence or paralysis, if the moment is, is, is even a shade relevant to your industry or your company and you're paralyzed and you haven't really put in the work beforehand to understand if and how and why and where you would weigh in or sound off, that can be seen as, as being complicit, right? So I would say like the actual, the real risk is in, is in not being involved. Um, and, and that's not just serious topics of societal consequence. That's in like playful and fun topics too, you know, meme-based trends that uh, eat as so many brands, you know, it's, it's so important to have internal alignment with everyone from the community manager to frankly, the C-suite or even the board. And the role the community manager is playing in all of this has become increasingly important over the years. And I think what you're starting to see with brands that really get it and what I hope will be a trend that continues is seeing it, seeing social media managers, seeing community managers, seeing the stature and the stat the, excuse me, the stature and the status of those roles be elevated within these corporations because they really are kind of like the heartbeat of your communication across like the entire social community. Yeah. You also have to make sure that you you know, hired someone you can trust a la the PBR tweets earlier this week. <laughs> sure. Yeah, sure. Well, when I say alignment, uh, <laughs> when I say alignment, yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Which is like, it's, it's un, it's, it's not realistic to say that your legal team or your CMO should be signing off on every tweet or every post, right? That that's what people are doing. I can tell you having conversations with brands back in 2012 and 2013, like there were situations where that was happening. That's unrealistic. So, but philosophically, strategically, spiritually, culturally, you you can establish that alignment proactively in advance. And then once that alignment is established, not only are you able to avoid blunders, you're also able to take advantage of unexpected moments where your brand has an outsized right to, um, to be vocal and participate and moreover, you can be consistent. And that consistency over time is what helps build your brand identity. So we really look at like your, and, and it's and your brand distinction, right? So I talked about a sea of sameness and brand homogeneity. And so distinction we see is everything, you know, nine and 10 people on Twitter value brands that have a strong sense of who they are and who you are on Twitter as a brand. We see it sort of as this triangle, it's tone, which is how you talk. It's topics, which is what you say and when you say it. And then it's community, who you're speaking for. Not who you're speaking to or who you're speaking at, but who you're speaking for or who you're speaking mm. with. And those three things, that sort of like triumvirate is, um, you know, that 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 really makes up who you are and how you distinguish yourself as a brand on our platform, which often case leads to how, you, how you're how you seen and heard um, 
you know, beyond Twitter in, in culture. Mm, for sure. Well, Alex, thank you so much. This has been a really interesting conversation. I wish we could have done it in person, but maybe, maybe, uh, maybe I'll see you on the closet. Ha- yeah. How about, how about, how about the next one is over? Yeah. A glass of rosé on the closet. And, um, I, I hope that's the case, but thank you, Allison, for, for having me and, and, um, for your time today. That's all the time we have this week. Thanks for tuning in to Campaign Chemistry, and we'll see you next time.